European Heart Journal, Issue at a Glance, Volume 40, Issue 29, Focus Issue, Chronic Coronary Syndrome, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia, read to you by Morgan Bryan. The spectrum of chronic coronary syndromes, genetics, imaging, and management after PCI and cabbage. Coronary artery disease, CAD, has many aspects. It may be chronic or present acutely, it may be due to structural or functional changes of the coronary circulation. Thus, the new expression chronic coronary syndromes for what was formerly called stable CAD appears appropriate, as it refers to the many phases of the disease and its complementary to acute coronary syndromes. The causes of acute and chronic coronary syndromes are also varied, but genetics may be an important underlying cause. Indeed, recent genome-wide association studies have identified over a hundred gene variants associated with coronary artery disease and sudden cardiac death, among them JCAD locus. However, the mechanisms whereby JCAD confers risk remain unclear. Zhong Zheng Jing and colleagues from the University of Rochester Medical Center in Rochester, United States, addressed this issue in their article, The Novel Coronary Artery Disease Risk Gene, JCAD forward slash KIAA 1462 promotes endothelial dysfunction and atherosclerosis. By mining data in the Genotype Tissue Expression Database, they found that coronary artery disease associated risk variants at the JCAD locus are linked to increased JCAD gene expressions in human arteries. In global and endothelial cell specific JCAD, Mice diet-induced endothelium-dependent relaxation was improved and atherosclerosis reduced. Genome-wide transcriptional profiling of JCAD-depleted human coronary artery endothelial cells showed that this inhibited the YAP-TAZ pathway and the expression of downstream proatherogenic genes, including CTGF and CYR61. As a result, JCAD-deficient endothelial cells attracted fewer monocytes in response to lipopolysaccharide stimulation. Moreover, JCAD expression in endothelial cells was decreased under unidirectional laminar flow in vitro and in vivo. Proteomic studies suggest that JCAD regulates JAP-TAZ activation by interacting with actin-binding protein, TRIOBP, thereby stabilizing stress fiber formation. Finally, endothelial JCAD expression was increased in mouse and human atherosclerotic plaques. Thus, genome-wide association studies identified coronary artery disease risk. Gene JCAD promotes endothelial dysfunction and atherosclerosis, thus highlighting the possibility of new therapeutic studies for coronary artery disease by targeting JCAD. These promising novel findings are put into context in an editorial by Socrates Stein from the Centre of Molecular Cardiology in Zurich, Switzerland. Genetic disposition and lifestyle factors are understood as independent components, underlining the risk of multiple diseases. However, genes associated with educational attainment may importantly affect compliance with lifestyle and medical prescriptions, and in turn, clinical outcome. In their article entitled Genetically Modulated Educational Attainment and Coronary Disease Risk, Heribert Schunkert and colleagues from the Deutsches Herzzentrum München and DZHK in Germany investigated the interplay between genetics, educational attainment and coronary risk. 
Based on the effect size of 74 genetic variants associated with educational attainment, they calculated a genetic education score in 13,080 cases and 14,471 controls and observed an inverse correlation between it and coronary artery risk. Importantly, they replicated their findings in 146,514 individuals of the UK Biobank. Mendelian randomization analysis using 1,271 variants affecting educational attainment further strengthened these findings. Thus, genetic variants known to affect educational attainment may have implications for a health-conscious lifestyle later in life and subsequently affect the risk of coronary artery disease. Both in patients undergoing coronary angiography prior to percutaneous coronary intervention PCI, and bypass surgery, cardiologists traditionally base their decision on visual estimations of the degree of coronary artery stenosis. However, numerous studies have shown that this may be erroneous and that intracoronary pressure measurements are much more reliable. However, while the use of fractional flow reserve FFR, to guide PCI this has not been widely used case prior to bypass surgery with the exception of CT-based FFR. In their article, Impact of Preoperative Fractional Flow Reserve on Arterial Bypass Graft Anastomatic Function, the IMPAG trial, David Gleaner and colleagues from the University of Ottawa Heart Institute in Ontario, Canada, investigated whether preoperative invasive FFR measurements of coronary lesions would be associated with graft functions six months after surgery in a double-blind study of 67 patients and 199 lesions. Preoperative fractional flow reserve was significantly associated with six-month anastomatic function for all conduits and for all targets. An FFR of less than or equal to 0.78 was associated with an anastomatic occlusion rate of 3%. Thus, the association between preoperative FFR of the target vessels and anastomatic functionality at six months, with a cutoff of 0.78, should be integrated into preoperative diagnostic workup before bypass surgery, a conclusion that is further discussed in an editorial by Morton Kern from the University of California in the United States. Dual antiplatelet therapy is the gold standard for patients undergoing PCI. Its use and duration has been heavily discussed because of the risk of bleeding that may be reduced by proton pump inhibitors, but remains a concern nonetheless. However, while its use in patients undergoing PCI has been extensively investigated, the antiplatelet treatment strategy, providing optimal balance between thrombotic and bleeding risk in those undergoing coronary artery bypass grafting, cabbage, is unclear. In their fast track, Randomized trials of tricagulor versus aspirin in patients after coronary artery bypass grafting, the TCAB trial, Heribert Schunkert and colleagues from the German Heart Center München in Germany randomly assigned, in double-blind fashion, patients scheduled for cabbage to tricagulor 90mg bid or 100mg aspirin once daily. 12 months after the cabbage of 1,859 out of 3,850 planned patients, Major cardiovascular events, MACE, occurred in 9.7% in the triangular group and in 8.2% in the aspirin group, which did not differ statistically. All-cause mortality was also similar, with 2.5% with ticagulor and 2.6% with aspirin. Hazard ratio of 0.96, CI 0.53 to 1.72, P 
equals 0.89. Cardiovascular death, ticagulor 1.2% versus aspirin 1.4%, as was myocardial infarction and stroke. The main safety endpoint of bleeding was also not different between groups. Thus, in this prematurely terminated and thus underpowered randomized trial of ticagulor versus aspirin in patients after cabbage, no significant difference in MACE. In an editorial by Paul A. Gerbel from the Innova Heart and Vascular Institute in Baltimore, Maryland, USA, the value of these findings for everyday practice are further discussed. Non-invasive imaging techniques in patients with coronary artery disease have been introduced to avoid unnecessary angiographies. Today, technologies providing insight into coronary structure, such as computer tomography, are able to document ischemia such as stress echocardiography, magnetic resonance imaging and nuclear scans, and are widely used. The strength and weakness of these imaging modalities and their place in the evaluation of different clinical conditions are reviewed in the article Non-Invasive Imaging of the Coronary Arteries. David E. Newby and colleagues from the Royal Infirmary of Edinburgh in the United Kingdom note that non-invasive imaging of the coronary arteries is an enterprise in rapid development. Although PCI is a very successful technique today, with restoration of coronary flow in the vast majority of the patients, up to 20-40% to complain of recurrent angina at one-year follow-up, even with FFR-guided PCI and drug-eluting stents, and in the presence of angiographically documented good results of the procedure. This puzzling issue is discussed in a review article, Mechanisms and Diagnostic Evaluation of Persistent or Recurrent Angina Following Percutaneous Coronary Revascularization, by Filippo Crea and colleagues from the Universitat Cattolica del Santo Coera in Rome, Italy. Importantly, persistent or recurrent angina post-PCI is associated with significant economic burden, with almost twofold higher healthcare costs in such patients. However, guideline recommendations regarding the management of angina post-PCI are not very helpful, as there are gaps in evidence into the mechanism of post-PCI angina. This review discusses potential mechanisms of the phenomenon including microvascular dysfunction, side branch occlusions, amongst others, and proposes a practical diagnostic algorithm and summarizes current knowledge gaps. The issue is further complemented by two discussion forum contributions. In the first contribution, Transient ST Segment Elevation and Coronary Flow, Ruben Coronel and colleagues from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam, the Netherlands, comment on the article Timing of Revascularization in Patients with Transient ST Segment Elevation Myocardial Infarction, a Randomized Clinical Trial. Niels van Gooyen and colleagues from the Harbauen University Medical Center in Nijmegen in Netherlands, who authored the article in question, respond in the comments of Ruben Coronel and colleagues to their own contribution. The editors hope that this issue of the European Heart Journal will find the interest of its readers.